Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Shock Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight, we have just a, a short episode, uh, comparatively anyway, to the last few ones. Uh, we're just doing a quick recap on the game against Oklahoma State. Um, Carter Stanley obviously had a, had a pretty good game. We talked quite a bit about him, actually. Um, there are more positives to take away from this game than I thought there would be coming into it, but uh, obviously with the result of being as bad as it was, Kansas losing quite handily. There's not a ton of positive stuff to talk about, so. Uh, but I will get you right over to that interview with Mike. And I'm joined now by Mike Plank, editor in chief over at Rock Chalk Talk. Mike, how you doing tonight? Doing all right, Andy. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing all right. The game. Um, obviously, we're here to talk about the Oklahoma State game. Um, I think it could have gone worse. Uh, it wasn't an absolute train wreck, but it, it you know wasn't as good as it could have been either. Obviously, I think the first thing we have to talk about is Carter Stanley getting the starting nod and actually playing decently well throughout the game. Um, what, what surprised you more, the fact that he started or the fact that he played at, as well as he did? Uh, well, we were all, um, at least, I mean, I was at the game. So when I say we all, I mean, you know, the people I was with, the people around us in the stands. We were all surprised, uh, happily surprised, to see Carter run out there for the first snap of the game uh, because Peyton Bender had actually been announced over the PA as the starter. And so I don't know what when he changed his mind or or how that went down, but uh, that was definitely a pleasant surprise, and and we were excited to see it. Yeah, actually, um, on on the, uh, the the broadcast as well, I was watching, and they had announced, you know, that that, that Peyton Bender was starting, and then all of a sudden, they're you know, they were like, we're we're expecting to see both him and Carter Stanley with Miles Kendrick being out due to injury. Um, and then all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, that's actually Carter Stanley out there. So I guess he'll be starting the game today. So yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a little bit of a surprise. Like it caught everybody completely off guard. Um, however, I mean, I do think that honestly, I was surprised with how well he played even more. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like, I'm sorry, it, it is exactly like David Beatty to be undecided a quarterback to make really weird decisions. Um, even though it makes more sense to us as fans, that a guy like Carter Stanley, starts just because Fender has been in, in, ineffective in his starts. Um, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he will decide at the last minute to just change his quarterback. So um, I was, I mean, I was mildly surprised that he actually started, but I was honestly shocked with how well he played. You know, he had 247 yards. He was 24 of 32. That's a 75% um, completion rate, you know, three, yeah. three, yeah. Yeah. Three, three touchdowns. His his overall QBR rating was only forty five point nine, which isn't really that great. But um, you know, to be honest, I mean, I thought he played fairly well for what he you know for for what he has to work with. So, what were your thoughts on on his actual gameplay? Well, at one point, I believe he was 
like 17 of 21 or 18 of 22, something like that. Um, and then, um, you know, the fourth quarter wasn't, I mean, they still scored two touchdowns, I guess, but his completion percentage dropped a little bit. But um, did he end to throw a couple of the deep balls? Sure. Did he throw it down the field? <laughs> yeah. And that's something that we haven't seen out of Kansas yet this year. And so um, it just seemed like there was just, and I hate to say it, it's not motivation, but it's something intangible that he brings to that offense where they just play harder and they get more yards and they score a little bit more. Is it going to be enough in Big 12 play? Probably not, but it's it's more fun to watch. Well, and, and I think what I saw there was better decision-making than for many of the other guys. I mean, Kendrick, I think part of that is not his fault in that he has been brought in so often as kind of that run-only guy. He's not used to running the offense. Carter Stanley does have experience running this offense. You know, I mean, he played really well in that Texas game. He He's actually had the experience with that before, and you could tell. He just he seems to be a much better decision-maker. Now, granted, part of that may just be that Oklahoma State had sold out on the run so many times that when it came to pass blocking, um, you know, they gave him a little bit more time, and he was actually able to kind of do something because they weren't keying in on him and his passes. But he definitely seemed to be much in much better control of how the offense was was doing so I mean I I don't want to anyone to get the impression I'm saying you know he's gonna he's gonna fix our offensive issues and we're gonna play really well the rest of the year or anything like that but I think he at least has a well and a good enough grasp on the offense that they have the potential to play well if the offensive line can actually block for him so um I, I guess that kind of transitions to kind of the the next topic we have is that offensive line. Did it was it really that they played better, or was it just that Carter Stanley was able to get the ball out quicker and make quicker decisions? Yeah, I don't know that we saw any market improvement in the offensive line. Um, and uh, the highlights that I've seen on on Twitter, I guess for the most part, have either been deleted or I can't find it. But there's there's one play in particular where the right tackle just absolutely got torched. He barely got a hand on the guy. So I wouldn't say, and I mean, Carter Stanley just got smothered. He didn't, he didn't have a chance on that play. Right. So I wouldn't say that the line has necessarily improved. Um, but uh, I think Stanley's ability to, his intuitiveness, his ability to read defenses, um, and his ability to kind of, you know, again, those intangibles, feel the pressure. Uh, you know, he was able to get out of some situations that other quarterbacks don't get out of, and and you know that obviously helps the offense immensely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it just it seemed like not only was he making better decisions, but it did look like the game plan had actually changed. There was a lot of short, you know, dump passes over the over the the offensive line, like you know, five, six-yard passes that we weren't seeing with Bender. With Bender, it seemed to be, you know, either hand the ball off or look for a deep pass. Uh, Carter Stanley, I don't know if this was him or if Meacham was just tailoring the the game plan a little bit better, um, but we, we definitely saw a lot more intermediate things. Steven Sims picked up a few big receptions there. Um, you know, even that even that, that play um, where he threw the, the touchdown to Booker, if you, if you look at the tape for it, um, I went back and looked at it a couple of times. It looked like that was actually set up to be like a 10 yard pass and Booker just saw something he liked and, and, and kind of took off a little bit. So, I mean, it just seemed like the offense, like you were saying, they seem to gel a lot better when Carter Stanley is the guy that, that is calling the play. So 
um, I guess that really begs the question: It does. Do you think that this performance earned him the start the start next week against West Virginia, um, or are we likely to see Bender back in there for whatever reason? Uh, well, David Beatty's already announced that Star uh, oh, Carter Stanley will, will be starting, yeah, against West Virginia. Um, Jesse Newell tweeted that out. I don't know about ten o'clock or so this morning. I think uh, Monday morning. Um, okay. But uh, so yeah, he will be starting against West Virginia, but. You know, classic David Beatty. He's not going to commit to anything beyond that because oh, of he, course, yeah. He he had the exact same quote about hopefully we get Miles Kendrick back during the bye week and have a full competition after that. And so, and you know, I just po- published an article about why can't Carter Stanley win the starting job? It just it boggles my mind. I, I don't get it. Yeah, um, I mean, I would like to see, especially if Miles Kendrick doesn't come back, I would like to see him be our starter for the rest of the year. I mean, I understand there may be times where Bender has to come in or, you know, the, the, the situation may, may dictate it, but this staff honestly has never given Carter Stanley an honest, legitimate shot at being the the, the guy. Um, That's sure you know, what it feels like, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, so, right. So if, I mean, if they give him a legitimate shot at being the guy for the rest of the year, you know, we'll get an opportunity to see what he can actually do. I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, useful that's going to be just because after this year, again, we're probably looking at a coaching change. The system's going to be completely different. Um, it'll be it'll be extremely interesting to see what Carter Stanley does in his in his senior year next year if he's even here. Um, you just really don't know with with all the uncertainty around the program. But you know, he has he has probably the biggest uh, victories in the in, in the David Beatty area or the David Beatty era. I mean, obviously the the Texas one stands out, but. Um, you know, he's, he's played pretty well in most of the games that he's been in. Um, and so I have no problem with him being the starter the rest of the way. I don't anticipate that's actually going to happen because, again, David Beatty routinely does things that make absolutely no sense. But um, I think moving forward, if anybody asks me who the starting quarterback should be, it's definitely, I think, needs to be Carter Stanley. Do you agree? Oh, definitely. Uh, and it just kind of bugs me that we haven't got to see him play in the first the first, I guess, half of the last couple of seasons, like, I mean, how, I, I just feel like his career numbers would look so much better if he had gotten to play against Southeast Missouri State last year or Central Michigan this year or Rutgers this year or Nichols freaking State this year. Right. Uh, I mean, I just, just how much better would he look if he had 20 or 25 games under his belt instead of nine? Well, and let I mean, Honestly, if, if if you take this game that he had here and, you know, plug him into Nickel State, I, I honestly think that they play well enough to win that game. Um, I mean, Bender was a big portion of the problem in that game, making bad decisions, you know, bad throws. I think even even if you still brought in Miles Kendrick in a few situations there, Stanley is a more versatile quarterback and is better tailored, I think, to the strengths of this team. You know, utilizing the running game heavily, making enough short passes, um, that that keep the defense honest, and you know that would have game planned I think a whole lot better. So I'm glad to see he's finally get an opportunity. Um, you know, I mean, I was a, I was a big proponent during the the preseason. I wanted Miles Kendrick to be the starter just because one he was you know different than anything we had had, and it sounded like he was a little bit better of a thrower than Carter Stanley was. But um, you know, I, I honestly would have been fine with Carter Stanley as well. So. Yeah. All right, so well, and something we haven't mentioned yet, something we haven't mentioned yet, Andy is um he did that against Oklahoma State. He did that with the flu bug. 
Um, he reportedly was having the hot and cold flashes on Friday. Um, he was, you know, throwing up Saturday morning. Like he, yeah. he was, he was not a hundred percent and he still went out and gave a top 10 performance from a quarterback in the David Beatty era. So, I mean, that I just, the kid's all guts, man. Just play the kid. Yeah, actually, Scott Scott Chasen had an article that came up. Right, uh, that's Monday what I'm morning. referring to. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he said that he, he showed up in the locker room, threw up, you know, won everybody over, and then went out and played really well. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, great guy. He's got, you know, he he's kind of got that leadership quality. Like every every time I've heard a quote about him. It's been about the ability he has to get people to, to to listen to him and buy into what he's doing, and so even if he's not necessarily the most talented guy, you know that kind of quality has a way of elevating the play of other guys. And so you know, in, in a in a lost season that we have here, I mean, because I, I don't think anyone can honestly say that there's an opportunity for them to get to a bowl game. You know, a lost season, you you take a guy like that and see what kind of leader he can turn into, see what he can develop with regular playing time, and then maybe you have a guy going into next year that can be some sort of anchor for whoever the new guy is here. Right, um, yeah. I mean, there, there's an opportunity to get value out of this season by identifying who your key pieces are going to be in the transition going into next year. And obviously a guy like David Beatty doesn't necessarily care so much about that because he's trying so hard to, get, to hold on to his job. Right, I was going to say, he's not coaching for next year. Right, but, it, you know, the fact that nobody else has really done any better means that Stanley, I mean, he might be, honestly, David Beatty's best opportunity to hold on to his job. If Carter Stanley can keep this team, this offense running well enough that the team, the team can stay competitive in these games, then that could be sold, even if, you know, the only game that Kansas wins the rest of the year is Kansas State. Like, that's David Beatty's best pitch, you know, is, look, we got off to a rough start. We identified a guy here in Carter Stanley who's going to be our quarterback next year that is playing really well. And we were competitive in all of our games, except for maybe Oklahoma, you know, comes in and it's, it's, it's probably going to blow us out completely. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, we're competitive in most of the, in, in most of the rest of the games. We've actually shown some improvement based off of what we did the previous year. Like, that's his best pitch to keep his job at this point. I don't think it's going to be good enough, but, I mean, that's like your best opportunity is have a guy like Carter Stanley that you can point to as, you know, this is the guy that we have next year. Especially since Bender, you know, this is his senior year. Unless he doesn't play the rest of the year. Like, the next time he steps on the field, that means it's his last year here. So you can't use him to build anything for the future. It's not going to help you to keep any, you know, to, to, to keep that job. The only hope you have is to find a guy like Carter Stanley that you can build off of and show this is our future, this is how we get through this rough, this rough year and actually have a movement forward. So, all right, enough about Carter Stanley. I mean, we could probably talk the rest of the time about him because I, cause most of our – you know, great things come from him. Um, obviously, Puka Williams had another good game. Um, you know, he had 97 yards. He had a 60-yard a touchdown run. Outside of that 60-yard run, though, he wasn't extremely effective. He did help to open up the game a little bit with his, like, sweeps and, and other runs to the outside. Um, it kind of opened things up in the middle for for other guys. But he was definitely completely outplayed by Justice Hill. Um were you expecting more from him coming into this game, or was it pretty obvious that, that he was going to be the focal point of the defense and, and was going to have a hard time? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, Big 12 opponents have to be game planning at this point for specifically for him. And, uh, I mean, if they're not, that's going to be to their detriment. I mean, if, if teams aren't putting seven and eight guys in the box, um, especially if Peyton Bender has to be back there, then, uh, then yeah, I, I don't think you can honestly expect much 
out of Puka, you kind of just kind of have to hope that he breaks one like he did. He broke one against Baylor. He broke one against Oklahoma State. You just kind of have to hope he breaks one, maybe two, and and you know brings his stats up to you know close to a hundred yards or whatever. But uh, but yeah, Oklahoma State bottled him up pretty well. Uh, Baylor bottled him up really well. Uh, I think if you take that one play out against Baylor, he had like what nineteen yards on thirteen carries or something ridiculous like that. So. Yeah, um, but yeah, teams are definitely game planning for him as they should, um, and I, you know, again, I expect him to break one or maybe two, but um, I would expect him for the most part to not be very productive the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, you know, out, outside of that sixty-yard uh, touchdown run, I mean, he had twice as many yards on his receiving in half the attempt, you know, in in half the touches. Uh, he was definitely a good weapon in the receiving game. And, and honestly, I think that's kind of how they, you know, utilize him the rest of the year. He had 20 total touches. Um, you know, he had six six receptions, 19 carries. Uh, so, I mean, just basically 20 touches, you know. And, and outside of that one huge run that he broke off, most of his damage came in the receiving game. But you have to get him involved in that receiving game in order to keep him on it, to, to keep the defense honest and give him an opportunity when he's running in between the tackles. So, all right, uh, let me see. I'm trying to see if there's anyone else that really stands out in the in the box score. Um, you know, Kansas, Sims had a good game. Sims did have a good game. He, uh, you know, he had 89 yards and a touchdown on on 10 receptions. It's definitely he, his biggest game of the year to date. Right. So he did. I mean, he he did a good job in volume of receptions. Again, I think he was able to finally, um, rather than what has been his calling card, you know, in in catching a pass out on the flat and then burning guys to get a big gain or speeding past guys and catching a long touchdown pass or a long pass, he was able to make his name in this game on the short crossing route, um, which really allowed Carter Stanley to get rolling, to get the offense moving quickly. Um, I was a little surprised that that's the role that he took, but again, he's, he's really the only other guy on this entire team um, offensively that they have to specifically game plan for because he does have that speed and the ability to kind yeah. of out, out, outwork guys. So, for him to be able to get an add a new dimension to his game um, was definitely a promising sign. Hopefully, it's something that he can keep doing and makes it a little bit easier for him to get those more traditional touches that he usually gets. So, yeah, um, and something that I noticed during at least during the post game presser mm-hmm. was that the uh, the coaching staff uh, attributed Sims' production as uh, him running more. Uh, running more routes out of the slot instead of out of, you know, the split end and, and instead of Carter Stanley. So, I, I mean, I guess maybe that's a plausible explanation, but I'd like to think that Stanley had a little something to do with it too. Well, I th- honestly, I don't think Bender is as good of a quick throw kind of guy. It seems like he needs the time to kind of set up and, and scan. And those quick slants that Sims was, was making catches on and, and those crossing patterns – require a quarterback that acts quickly to take advantage of the fact that the defense isn't ready for it. Um, so while it may be true that, you know, he was in the slot more and that made it a little bit easier to do those kind of throws, I also don't think that, you know, just putting him in the slot and running the same play and having Bender throw it to him would have made any difference. Um, you know, like he, he wouldn't have had as big of a game just because I don't think that, that Bender is as quick with his throws as a guy like Carter Stanley is. So, um, again, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to sit here and trash on Bender. The problem just being that we've seen what he can and can't do so many times, and you know, these new wrinkles don't just show up um, when the new guy comes in. Like it seems like they actually game plan towards what Carter Stanley is good at, 
um, and really allowed them to take advantage of some holes in that Oklahoma State defense that, that honestly, I, w- I was shocked that they were able to. I was expecting Oklahoma State with their big defensive line to get in there and disrupt any kind of passing that game that we had, um, and, and Stanley just did, really didn't give them an opportunity to do that. So um, the one thing I think we need to talk about on the defensive side, I mean, obviously guys like Deneen and Tornadin had some pretty good games, especially stopping the run. Um, but that, that KU secondary is running into some real big issues. They got beat. Ooh. I think they got beat three times deep um, just just by my count. And, and to be honest, I, I stopped watching a, a decent portion of the game. I had some other stuff come up at home at the time. And when I came back, I, like, I wasn't too surprised to see that there had been a couple scores. So, um, But just the ones that I've seen, like, I don't know if it's scheme. Like, does it look like guys are out of place? Or is it more just that a guy's getting burned deep by a by a quick receiver? Um, is both an acceptable answer? Uh, it it I definitely mean, is. <laughs> you, you you definitely get a different uh, point of view in the stadium because you're not limited to whatever the camera's showing you, right? Right. So okay. you can see the entire field and not just the quarterback in the pocket scanning for his next target. Um, and and I'll tell you, the secondary got repeat got got repeat got beat repeatedly. Um, and it wasn't just on those completions. Like, you would have guys running wide open downfield um, that uh, Cornelius either didn't see or didn't think he could get on the ball or whatever. Uh, you know, maybe the play was designed to go somewhere else or something. I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, they were just burned all day long. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma State definitely capitalized. And they noticed that early. Uh, and they definitely capitalized on that. Um, and they even missed a few throws deep where they had guys open. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it was a problem all day long, and I don't know what the cause of it was. I don't know if it was uh, – Co Harris got picked on a lot, um, and so I don't know if it was just an experience or if somebody's missing assignments or or what the deal is. But Yeah, so something that happened in the Baylor game, when, when Co Harris got beat deep for – that touchdown in the, in the Baylor game, I believe it was the second touchdown that they scored, you know, there, a lot came out and it actually looked going back and looking at the, the film on it. It looked like, you know, his assignment was to play in the flat and, you know, kind of be ready for that mid medium throw. And it just looked like he got burnt when the safety was really supposed to come over and help him out. I didn't see a lot of that in the Oklahoma state game. It looked like guys either just stopped paying attention to their guys or, you know, they just got completely burnt. There was at least two throws where the the cornerback was running with him and then just just held up. Like the the wide receiver just went on a tear and, and pulled away from him. You know, this I think this kind of tells you everything you need to know. The three guys that got receiving touchdowns, right? Um, it's Wolf, Wallace, and Johnson, all for all for Oklahoma State. They they're long receptions for the day. They got one guy with a 42-yard reception for his long, another guy with a 56-yard, and another one with a 64. Like that's three different receptions of over 40 yards by three different guys. It wasn't just one speedster burning them. You know, it wasn't just one guy that was getting good positions. They had multiple guys that were getting free and running unchecked down the field. Um, there's definitely some sort of problem with this with this defensive secondary. Um, you know, you can't chalk it completely up to scheme. I do think that the scheme itself has, has plays a big part of it, um, but you definitely can't chalk it completely up to scheme when you have so many different guys from so many different locations. There was that one point, I believe it was in the fourth quarter, um, Kansas, I, 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 if I remember correctly, had actually gotten down or gotten back within 13, um, 
And then like three plays later, Oklahoma State chucks the ball way downfield. Uh, he missed a wide open guy. There was no one within 10 yards of him, you know, yeah. missed it. And then comes back the very next play, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, we caught a break there. Now let's go ahead and stop him. Very next play does the exact same thing. Guy gets free. Yep. There's nobody within 10, 15 yards. Chucks it down, makes a much better throw this time, and it's a huge long touchdown. I believe that was the 64-yard touchdown to Johnson. I'm not certain on that. but I, I think that's right. But either way, I mean, two times back-to-back where you got beat deep, you would think after the first one, you're like, okay, we need to watch the deep pass because we can't let that happen again, and then it happens immediately. So there's definitely something going on with it, with the scheming of there. Um, but, I, you know, I do think a part of that, too, is that you have some inexperienced guys, especially at the cornerback position, you know, Coe Harris is, is, is talented, but everything I've read makes me think that he, you know, is used to being in a system that gives him a little bit more safety help than he gets here. Um, so that takes an adjustment. Hopefully he gets, you know, much better at that going into the year. Um, but honestly, it doesn't matter how talented your guys are if they're not put in very good positions to succeed, whether through their own shortcomings in terms of football intelligence on where they need to be um, or the problem with the scheme itself, not setting them up to where they need to be. So um, yeah. anything else on the, on the defense that really jumps out to you? Um, the only thing that I really noticed, and I think this is another scheme issue, but it, it was this way last year too, was the defensive line just doesn't put pressure on the quarterback. And I, you know, they did that with Dorrance Armstrong last year. They, you know, made him more of a run stopper and, uh, you know, take up these blockers type of dude. Um, but you know, it's just getting frustrating to see the, you know, opposing quarterback stand back there for five, six seconds and just be like, oh, I'm going to read this book and, uh, okay, there's an open guy. I'll score a touchdown now, you know? So, um, and, and again, I, I think it's just the type of scheme that, that they're running. Uh, you know, they're dropping a lot of guys into coverage. Uh, they're not blitzing as much. Uh, but even when they do blitz, they take bad angles and miss the quarterback or, um, you know, or don't, or don't get there in time or whatever. Uh, I don't think we have very many sacks at all. I haven't looked at the number. I don't think we have very many sacks at all this year. Uh, no, and no, considering, yeah, considering the competition, like that's, that's not acceptable. So, <laughs> so right. we had, we had uh, lots, lots of turnovers, but, uh, <laughs> not right. nearly enough sacks. So, yeah. 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 And so that, that's the only other thing that I, that I have noticed over these last couple of games is, especially the Baylor and Oklahoma State games, the Big 12 games, is just the absolute lack of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Well, and, and I think, honestly, that feeds somewhat into the defensive secondary problems. Like, if you know you have problems with guys being able to, to keep their assignments and, you know, letting guys behind them, then you have to get enough pressure that they don't have time to get set up for that. Right. Force the issue, yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of we're, – we're seeing it a lot, especially in, in a lot of the successful NFL defenses, too, is – the ones that are the most successful are the ones that make that force quarterbacks to make quick decisions. Um, you make you make quick decisions, you're much more likely to to misread something. Um, that that should help with the, with turnovers as well. So Kansas has had real problems with turnovers in the last two games as well because you know the offense has forever to do whatever they want with the ball. It's a lot easier to take care of the ball if you're not being pressured. So. Um, I do think that that's kind of going to be the key for them to stay competitive in any of these games, especially this West Virginia game. Um, you know, we'll talk just a tiny bit about the West Virginia game. Was was there anything from this game, this Oklahoma State game, that you think, um, you know, gives you any better sense of how that West Virginia game is going to go, whether it's good or bad? 
Um, I mean, just I guess the last two games together again, um, you know, just the way that the defense performed compared to the first three games of the year, and I realized that the competition is completely different, and that's I guess that's the point, um, is that this defense just isn't good enough. And, I mean, if we're going to give up 40 points a game or, or more in Big 12 play again this year, uh, you know, it's, we're just going to have to try and outscore people. And I don't know that, that – I don't know that even our hero Carter Stanley can do that. <laughs> right. Uh, so, and I haven't watched West Virginia play yet this year, but, uh, you know, Will Greyer has, has got to be on the short list for Heisman. Uh, the, you know, they the, their scores look really good. Um I mean, they just absolutely dominated K State. Uh, so I, just, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I'm not hopeful. Let's let's just leave it at that, I guess. Yeah, West Virginia. I actually watched a good portion of the Texas Tech game. I was flipping back and forth. Um, they they are honestly a lot like what the Chiefs are in the NFL on offense right now. They can flip it on and score a whole bunch real quick, and then all of a sudden they disappear and don't really do much. So there's there's definitely an opportunity to take advantage. Um, but, you know, with, with KU being on the road for that game and West Virginia definitely having a much better defense than, than um, you know, than their opponents or than the, the opponents that Kansas faced so far in Baylor and Oklahoma State, obviously I'm not, I'm not very hopeful going into this game, uh, but there's definitely an opportunity for Kansas to keep it close. Um, but they're going to have to eliminate those breakdowns in the secondary because Will Greer will definitely pick them apart if they give him that much time to do it. So. Oh, definitely, yeah. All right, so one one final question, um, because you talked about how, how bad or how poorly K-State played against West Virginia. Um, you know, they they actually only won 17-14, to 14, or I'm sorry, they lost 17-14 to 14 against Texas. Um, that's actually the first time that they've lost to Texas in Manhattan since uh, forever ago. I want to say it was like 2004 or something like that. 2002, I believe, oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. Um yeah, that that actually sounds a lot closer than what I was thinking. Um, but yeah, so the real question I have for you though is just seeing how poorly K State has played. Do you do you think that they're at least as bad as this Kansas team? Like, do we have a legitimate shot at, at going in and winning that game? Are you crazy? They're just playing stupid. <laughs> I guess I'm trying uh, no, to find some sort of silver lining in this in this season. No, they're uh, you know I work with several K State fans um, and uh, uh, three to be exact, and two of those three are convinced that they're losing to KU this year. But I, I just don't see it. Um, I mean, you know, Snyder magic and whatever, he just doesn't lose to KU. He just, he just doesn't. Uh, and I guess really what my question is, regardless of the outcome of that game. Like, is there is there a legitimate argument to be made that Kansas State is actually worse than this Kansas team? Uh, well, Bill Connolly uh, is making that argument. S and P Plus has had KU ranked ahead of K State now two weeks in a row. Yeah, uh, which, which which is a shock, you know, that a that a Mizzou fan yeah. <laughs> would rank yeah. K State worse than KU. So, right, but I I, I mean it's. There's just no way we go into it's in Manhattan this year, I believe. There's just no way we go into Manhattan and, and pull out a win. That's they almost beat freaking Texas. I mean, come on, come on, man. We're not going in there and beating K State on their home field in David Beatty's lame duck year. Uh, it, it's not happening. Yeah, to be honest, though, I think I think that says more about Texas than it does about K State. Texas has a very bad habit of playing 
you know, down to their competition. Well, that's true. And so, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into that game. I mean, K-State with, you know, Texas does not have a good defense and K-State was only able to score 14 points at home. Like they have real big offensive problems themselves. So, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not predicting at this point that Kansas is going to go in and going to beat K-State or that Kansas is definitely much better than Kansas State or anything like that. Um, but I, I think it's at least a legitimate argument you can make that Kansas State, while they have the same record at this point, um, I don't think Kansas State has been as impressive as, as KU has in their wins. And so you can make the argument that, that KU is actually not the worst team in the Big 12. They just don't have the track record to make you honestly think that they're better than the Kansas State at this point. So. Right. No, I I can agree with all that. So, all right. Well, we'll 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 go ahead and leave it there. I'm uh, ready to get back to the second half of the Chiefs game. I'm sure it's already started. So, um, Mike, any any other final parting thoughts you wanted to to leave us with? Uh, no, I don't think so. I didn't have anything for you this week. All right. Sounds good. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and talk after uh, Kansas gets demolished by West by West Virginia. Right. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks again. Yep. All right. Bye. And that'll do it for tonight's episode. Big thanks to Mike for joining us to recap the unfortunate events of the weekend. Um, we will have another episode coming for you later this week. We'll be previewing the West Virginia game, getting ourselves ready for the bye. Um, something to, to keep in mind for next week. We will still have our normal episodes, even though it is the bye week. Uh, we will be doing the, the recap of the West Virginia game. And then later in the week, we're going to turn towards basketball. We're getting close to the beginning of the basketball season, so there will be plenty for us to go ahead and, and talk about. So, as always, you guys can contact us on Twitter at RockChalkPod. Email us at RockChalkPodcast at gmail.com. We, we want all your suggestions, any questions you have, all that fun stuff. So, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network.